Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Peter Schiff Show. As expected, earlier today, the Federal Reserve nudged up the Fed funds rate by another quarter point. The Fed is now targeting that rate at two and a quarter to two and a half percent. So the range is somewhere in the middle there. This marks the sixth time the Federal Reserve has hiked interest rates since Donald Trump was president. In fact, it's the seventh time that the Fed has hiked rates since Trump was elected. Remember, during the entirety of President Obama's eight years as president, the Fed only raised interest rates once. Uh, But now they've raised them seven more times since Trump was elected in November of 2016. Now, what the markets did not expect was the dovish hike to be so hawkish. In fact, the minute I heard the language, I was surprised that the Dow didn't immediately sell off uh, more than it did. It had a bit of a bounce before it sold off. The Dow Jones ended up down just over 350 points. The sell-off from the high to the low was just under 900 points because earlier in the day, the Dow had rallied up about 300 points because there was a lot of anticipation that even though the Fed was going to hike rates today, that it was going to indicate that it was going to pause, that it was kindly on neutral, that it wasn't really planning any more rate hikes for 2019. It was just going to play it by year. It was going to be data dependent. But what the Federal Reserve said in their official statement that accompanied the uh, the news was that they had reduced what they expected for rate hikes for next year from three anticipated rate hikes to just two. Now, that may be considered dovish, but it didn't nearly meet the expectations of the market that was expecting something much more than that. And again, when I heard that, I thought the market's going to get killed. And it did go down, but I think a lot more of the carnage is going to happen probably later in the week, next week. In fact, the market is now down so much 
that the Dow is having its worst December since 1932. Now, of course, that was uh, the beginning of the Great Depression. Now, if something is happening that hasn't happened since the beginning of the Great Depression, A, you know that it's rare, but also it could be the warning sign of something ominous. Here are the numbers right now, the tail of the tape, if you will, for the major averages. The Dow Jones is now down 14.5%. Not a bear market yet, uh, but certainly well in correction territory. The S&P down 14.8% on the year. And remember, pretty much all these declines for the last two or three months, because back in September, the markets were making uh, their highs. So uh, we've gone, we've dropped a lot very fast. The NASDAQ composite now down 18.4%. So it is very close to being in a bear market. In fact, we'll probably be in a bear market uh, maybe by the end of the week. Remember earlier on one of my podcasts, I thought that we would be in a bear market in the NASDAQ by the end of the year. And it seems that I'm probably going to, uh, that forecast is going to come true uh, with uh, time to spare. Two indexes that went into bear market territory this week, the uh, Dow Transports, They went into bear market territory today. They're down 21.3%. I think the Russell 2000 hit bear market territory on Monday, and it now declined further into bear market territory. It is down 22.6%. And, you know, for all those people that try to say, oh, the markets are falling because of problems overseas, if that were true, why is the Russell 2000 which has the least amount of influence from what's happening abroad because it's pretty much a pure play on the U.S. economy, why is the Russell 2000 leading the way down? Why is that the weakest of all the indexes? If the problems really are external, then why is the most domestically focused index the weakest? Now, of course, in uh, justifying the rate hike and its outlook for two more rate hikes in 2019, uh, Powell and his buddies at the Fed, you know, paint a very rosy picture of the U.S. economy, although they did tweak down their growth forecasts a little bit for 2019. Uh, they still look for a lot of economic growth. They still think the economy is in great shape and they are ignoring all of the warning signs that are telling them that the economy is not in good shape. And if you look at it, and I've been talking on this podcast about the housing market, about the auto market, about what's happening in the financials, what's happening in retailers. But of course, the stock market blowing up is a pretty good indicator because in case Powell hasn't noticed, the stock market and the economy are pretty much joined at the hip. And if they weren't there naturally, the Fed joined them. Ben Bernanke, and I've said this over and over again, Ben Bernanke specifically stated that the the goal of quantitative easing was to cause asset prices to rise. And because of higher asset prices, stocks and real estate, people would feel wealthier and they would spend more money and they could borrow more money based on the increased value of their collateral. So the entire recovery was built on an asset bubble intentionally, not even by accident. I mean, maybe they did it by accident the last time. Right. The bubble that popped in 2008. Maybe you could say the Fed did that one by accident, but they did this one on purpose. That was the intent of the policy was to inflate uh, uh, asset prices. And so now that asset prices are deflating, if you know the recovery was the result of asset prices going up and now asset prices are collapsing, 
What does that tell you about the recovery? Obviously, the recovery is going to go away, too, because so go the asset markets, so goes the asset-based economy. But for some reason, uh, the Federal Reserve hasn't figured this out yet, or maybe they have figured it out, and they're just lying about it, right? Because maybe they feel, well, you know, we're going to go into a collapse anyway, so let's just wait for it to happen, and then claim that it was due to some, you know, exogenous uh, factors that nobody could have possibly predicted, or, you know, maybe they're going to try to blame it on the trade war or something having absolutely nothing to do uh, with their policy. Of course, Donald Trump, I didn't see any Donald Trump tweets out today, but I actually think Donald Trump uh, may actually be better off uh, being that the Fed is, uh, is, is this aggressive because when the economy crashes and the market crashes, it'll make it easier for Trump to blame the Fed for what happened because if the Fed had not raised rates today and basically indicated that it wasn't going to raise rates anymore, I still think that we're going to go into a recession in a bear market, but then it would have been harder for Trump to blame the Fed if the Fed had done exactly what he asked. So the fact that you still have this tension, maybe that makes it a little bit better politically for Trump. But I don't think the voters are going to buy that at the polls. If they go to vote and it's a recession, you know, they're not going to just blame it on the Fed uh, and then, uh, you know, just vote for Trump. And after all, Trump appointed Jerome Powell. Right. So, I mean, if, if you're going to blame the Fed, you're kind of blaming yourself because you're the one that appointed uh, the guy and you decided not to reappoint Janet Yellen. So either way, it's not going to work out well for Trump or the Republicans. But, but at least rhetorically, you know, when he's campaigning, it'll be easier for him to try to point the finger uh, at, at the Fed when, you know, the Fed and him were, were at odds. But where things really started to get ugly for the markets was during the press conference, right? And that's where people might have been hopeful that um, Powell was going to kind of do a little damage control from the statement and indicate that even though the Fed was thinking about two rate hikes next year, that they probably weren't going to happen, right? It was, it, was, it was Powell's opportunity to walk back uh, the statement and to make it more dovish and make it more market-friendly. Well, that's not what happened. In fact... Powell used the press conference to pretty much put a fork in the stock market. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, there were two particular statements that he made that immediately sent the stock market lower. And which to me is an indication that a lot of the traders are starting to figure it out. They haven't put all the pieces together yet because gold went down. Gold stocks got killed today. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. So they haven't figured it out completely. But I think they're starting to figure out that the Fed is trying to pull the table out from under the tablecloth and the markets know that the dishes are going to come crashing down, yet the Fed expects the dishes to remain levitated in thin air. So here are the two comments. The first one had to do with quantitative tightening. A reporter asked him, and I forget which one, if the Fed was considering slowing down the pace at which it is shrinking its balance sheet, right? And Powell's answer was absolutely not. He said that they had agreed that that, um, you know, wind down was going to be on autopilot, that now that they set it at what 40 billion a month or whatever it is, 60 billion a month, I forget the number, but now that they've set it at that pace, it's just on autopilot, right? Cruise control. It's just going to happen and the Fed is not going to touch it. And that if they think monetary policy needs to be tweaked, they're only going to tweak it 
using interest rates. So if they think the economy is slowing, they're still going to continue to shrink their balance sheet. The only thing they might do is stop raising rates or maybe lower rates, but they're not going to stop uh, quantitative tightening. And the minute the minute that was spoke, the market tanked the first time. It was up about 100 points. It had sold off initially uh, after the statement came out because the Dow was up about 300 points, lost a lot of those gains, but didn't go negative, then started to come back. It was up over 100 when Powell made that uh, statement, answered that question, and we immediately tanked uh, to down 50, down 80. But then what really put the nail on the coffin was when Powell walked back his prior statement about the fact that we were uh, at neutral. Because remember... Before the markets tanked, Powell was on record as saying that we were a long way from neutral. That And so the markets still believed that there were a lot more rate hikes coming because Powell had indicated that we still had a ways to go to get to neutral. Then all of a sudden, Powell comes out and throws uh, you know, the market a lifeline by saying that we're just below neutral. And so that kind of implied that the next rate hike would get us there. If we were just below neutral, well, one more hike would put us at neutral. And that was another reason that people were expecting this hike to be even more dovish. But what Powell did is he walked that back and he said, what I meant was that we were nearing the lower range of where neutral is, meaning that there's a range of potential rates that would be considered neutral. And where we are now is at the lower end of what people would consider to be that range. And so to me, that was a very negative statement in that it implies that we have more rate hikes coming than what people were thinking. And then that's when the markets tanked. And in fact, we were down better than 500 points on the lows in the Dow before we were able to compare those losses to about 350. But of course, you know, the market is saved by the bell. If we had a few more hours to trade, I'm sure we would have traded even lower. But, you know, all the people that are so hopeful that the Fed was going to stop uh, hiking. And in fact, there was a lot of indication. There was a big op-ed in the Wall Street Journal yesterday that was basically saying well, the Fed should stop hiking. There are a lot of people uh, going on television from the uh, Republican uh, for the Trump administration or just commentators that, you know, lean Republican. Stephen Moore, I saw, was talking about why the, you know, how we have this great economy, but we shouldn't hike rates anymore. And this is pretty much the party line uh, from the administration and from a lot of people who are supportive of the administration that we have a booming economy, that the Fed is right about that, right? I think the Fed is wrong. We don't have a booming economy. We have a bubble. But Trump doesn't want to admit that. He wants to say it's a booming economy, and people who support the president want to say it's a booming economy. So they're saying the economy is great, but that the Fed shouldn't hike rates anymore. Well, you can't have your cake and eat it too. It's either the economy is great and the Fed should hike, or the economy is not great, and that's why the Fed shouldn't hike. You can't you know, have it both ways, claim we have this great economy, the greatest economy in the history of the country, and then say that we can't raise rates above 2%. Because this great economy can't handle a two and a quarter percent interest rate. The reality is this is the biggest bubble the Fed has ever blown. And this bubble is so big that it can't handle a two percent, two and a quarter percent Fed funds rate. But the Republicans don't want to admit that. They don't want to acknowledge it's a bubble. So they have to, you know, maintain that the economy is strong. Well, the fact that they don't want rates to go up proves that they they know it's not strong. You see, the Federal Reserve 
These guys are dumb enough they actually think it's strong. And so they think they can raise rates. You know, they don't realize how weak it is. They don't realize what a house of cards they created. And maybe they don't even realize it's a bubble because they're the ones that inflated it. But then again, maybe the whole thing is a lie. You'll never know. Are they stupid? Are they this stupid? Or, you know, are they just lying to us? Now, then you have a lot of other people who are very critical of what the Fed is doing because they actually think that the economy is a lot weaker than what the Fed believes. And, and, and those people are correct, right? The people who believe that the Fed is overestimating the, the health of the economy, the strength of the economy, they're correct. But they're incorrect in thinking that the Fed should not be hiking rates. The Fed should be hiking rates because rates are too low. But the stock market's going to crash. The economy is going to go into a recession. All that stuff has to happen. But if you don't want the economy to crash, then you would, you would want the Fed to, to cut rates. But I'm not about kicking the can down the road. I want to bite the bullet and take the medicine. I want to start digging us out of this hole. I don't want to find excuses to dig it deeper. But even the Fed's critics don't get that. They don't realize that rates should be going up even though the economy is going to tank. And they don't realize that if the Fed recognized right now the weakness in the economy and actually stopped hiking or cut rates, that they would end up precipitating a currency crisis, which we're going to have anyway. But that might even mean the crisis would come even sooner rather than later, because there is no way out of this. There is no correct Fed policy to avoid a crash. The correct policy is going to precipitate a crash, but even the incorrect policy is going to precipitate a crash. It just might precipitate it a little bit later, but by postponing the pain, we end up exacerbating the pain. And for those people who, you know, think the, that the Fed is so smart, right, that somehow these guys, you know, really know what the economy is doing and we should somehow put a lot of stock into their opinions, because after all, this is just opinion, right? You've got a bunch of guys at the Fed who are guessing and they think the economy is going to be strong. Now, what, what are they looking at? Well, they're looking at the low level of unemployment, which is true, but these guys don't seem to understand that every single recession we've ever had has started from a low level of unemployment. I mean, recessions end with high unemployment. They start with low unemployment. So based on that, I mean, we're you know near the beginning of the recession, but they're looking at other consumer spending numbers without paying attention to the source of that spending. Where are consumers getting their money? They're borrowing it. They're levered up. Well, their houses are collapsing. Their stock portfolios are collapsing. And the cost of servicing that debt is going up every time the Fed notches up interest rates. So even though consumers may have been spending in the past, they ain't going to be spending in the future. So the Fed is looking backwards at some economic data that is lagging and somehow concluding that we have a strong economy instead of looking at all the forward-looking data that would indicate that we have a, a weakening economy. Now, other people who are looking at the forward data and who are concluding properly that the economy is weakening still don't understand exactly how weak it's going to be, and they don't understand what the consequences are going to be when the Federal Reserve ultimately goes back to quantitative easing. Because basically, they just the Fed just said that quantitative easing is off the table. They just said they're going to keep shrinking their balance sheet even if we go into recession, and all they're going to do in the next recession is cut interest rates to zero. Well, what kind of 
amount of stimulus are you going to get? If they just take rates from 2% to zero, you think that's going to be enough to stimulate us out of the worst recession in our history? No, they're going to have to do quantitative easing. But of course, they're going to lose even more credibility now that the Fed is basically taking quantitative easing off the table. In fact, they took uh, tapering quantitative tightening off the table. The Fed basically said, even if we're in recession, we're only going to use interest rates as our tool. Well, what kind of tool is that? If that's all you got is interest rates, of course, the minute we're in recession, they're going to forget about all that, right? They're going to go right to quantitative easing because after all, what's going to happen in the recession, right? The budget deficits, which are already enormous, are going to skyrocket. And if our budget deficits go to three to four trillion a year, I mean, who's going to buy that? The Fed. And obviously, the Fed can't buy treasuries until it first stops selling the treasuries it's selling. So it has to turn on a dime. It's not just about stopping quantitative tightening. It's going to have to relaunch quantitative easing. And of course, all of whatever credibility the Fed has left is going to be completely blown out of the water uh, when it has to do this about face. And of course, when we end up in this recession and all the people at the Fed, you know, we're so optimistic and we're blindsided that that's going to put them over two because they were blindsided by uh, by the last one. But, you know, Alan Greenspan, I just listened to an interview with him this week, and he basically said that investors should run for cover, that you they should prepare for the worst. And he said what's coming is stagflation. You know, I'm on the same page as Alan Greenspan. In fact, he's probably behind the scenes. He's probably just as bearish as I am. I mean, he ought to know, right? He lit this fire, right? This is his monster. He created it. Other people don't even understand that it's a monster, but it's his creation. So so he knows uh, what's going to go on. But my point is, if you think central bank chairmen are so smart, why is Powell any smarter than Greenspan? So if you got Greenspan, who used to be the Fed chairman, saying, prepare for the worst, we're headed for stagflation, and you got the current Fed chairman saying everything is great, nothing to worry about, I mean, why should you believe Powell and ignore Greenspan, right? I mean, and Greenspan was a Fed chairman a lot longer than Powell was, right? I mean, he was, you know, he was, and, and now maybe somebody said, well, Greenspan caused the last crisis, so why should we listen to him? Precisely. He's the guy that played with fire and got burned, right? So he understands the danger that you create when you keep interest rates too low because he committed the same sin himself. And now, and, and he saw uh, the suffering. He knows that the sinners that followed him have, have committed it to an even greater degree. So I would say that when it comes to credibility about bubbles and the economy, Greenspan has a lot more uh, credibility uh, then does Powell. You know, it's just like, you know, when I always joked about Bernie Madoff and Bernie Madoff said the U.S. government was running the world's biggest Ponzi scheme, right? That, that um, you know, he was just a piker uh, compared to what the government was doing when it came to Ponzi schemes. And, uh, and people would say, oh, you know, why should we listen to Bernie Madoff, right? I mean, Bernie Madoff doesn't know anything. He's a criminal. And, you know, I always said, wait a minute. I mean, Bernie Madoff may be a criminal, but when it comes to Ponzi schemes, he's an expert. And if Bernie Madoff says the government is running a Ponzi scheme, then he's got a lot of credibility, right? Because he's got credibility on Ponzi schemes. That's why I used to joke that we should have made Bernie Madoff the Secretary of the Treasury, because he understood exactly what was going on. And, you know, Bernie Madoff, one of the things that he learned from running a Ponzi scheme, as long as he did, was you got to keep it quiet. 
You, know, you can't tell people. But, you know, we go out and tell people that we're running a Ponzi scheme because every time we fail to raise the debt ceiling, we say the first thing we're going to do is default on our debt if we can't go deeper into debt. That's an official admission that the U.S. government is running a Ponzi scheme because actually repaying the debt is never even a possibility because we'll only pay off our old debtors if we can borrow more money from new debtors. That is the exact definition of a Ponzi scheme, and Bernie Madoff knows one when he sees one. And so from that respect, Greenspan, even though you know you could say he's guilty of inflating a bubble that popped, he has a lot more credibility uh, on bubbles and what happens when they pop and how they're caused uh, than the current Fed chairman, who you know wasn't even around uh, at the Fed uh, during that time. I want to talk, too, about some of the uh, individual stocks that kind of were leading the market down. It started off uh, last night after the close. We got some uh, bad numbers out of FedEx and Micron. Federal Express, a big uh, component of the Dow Transports, that stock was down just over 12% on the day. Big move down for FedEx on basically a warning of a global slowdown in the economy uh, based on its uh, its shipping. And I think the slowdown in the U.S., which uh, I don't think was the big problem. I think Europe was what they were talking about. But I think a big slowdown is coming uh, in the U.S. as the U.S. consumer runs out of steam and as companies like Amazon, I mentioned on my last podcast, I think, that Amazon said they're going to stop selling the products where they're losing money, which is a lot of the products. Because I buy a lot of the products, I know they're losing money because it costs them more money to ship them than the margin is on the account, and I get the shipping for free. So if they're going to stop shipping all these money-losing products, well, that means Federal Express is going to earn less revenue because fewer products are going to get sold. But of course, the the entire economy going into recession, uh, FedEx is going to feel that because they're going to uh, have less revenue. Micron Technology warned profits down, stock down 8.5%, 8.41%, I guess to be exact, hit a new 52-week low today. In fact, again, all the major indexes were at 52-week lows, and the technical patterns look horrible. If you look at the S&P 500 on a monthly chart, right, monthly chart, we have a head and shoulders top in that chart. In fact, if you look at it, you know, the one of the right shoulders is a little bit scrunched over, but it's still a pretty good pattern, and we've broken through the neckline. We have a long way to fall, and we could fall very fast. You know, we might end up, this could be the worst December in U.S. history. Right now, again, it's the worst one since 1932, but this is only the 19th of December. We still have eight more trading days left uh, till the end of the year. Now, you know, the odds are maybe we won't fall. I think we have to fall another 5 or 6% in the next eight days in order to be the worst December in history. It's certainly possible. Technically, it looks like it's possible. Fundamentally, it looks like it's possible. So let's see. Now, we still you know, we still have two more Mondays left for my Black Monday scenario. Uh, and so that could still happen, too, where we get a major collapse on a Monday. But again, you know, the Federal Reserve still doesn't get it. Right? And this is what I've been saying. I think this is the last rate hike. And the reason I think it's the last rate hike is because if the Fed is forecasting that they're going to do two rate hikes, in 2019, they're probably thinking December for the second one and June for the first one, right? They're not going to come in right away and hike in March. So the Fed's not planning another rate hike for six more months. Well, that's six more months of 
the stock market going down. So by then, we'll clearly be in bear markets in all the index. That's six more months of the real estate market going down. That's six more months of the stock market going down. And that's six more months for employers to figure out that we're going into recession and start laying people off. And so my guess is by the time June arrives, the economy is going to be so bad, the stock market and the real estate market is going to be so bad that it's going to be impossible for the Federal Reserve to pretend that the economy is still good and they can't deliver a rate hike if they concede how much the economy has weakened since their last hike. So that's why I think the next move by the Fed is going to be a cut, right? Because I don't think they're going to hike anymore. So the next thing they're going to do is cut. Now, I'm not exactly sure when they're going to cut, but my thinking is they're going to wait so long before they do, right? They're going to wait till they see the whites of the recession's eyes, which means by the time they realize that we're in one, we're deep in one. So I think the next cut is going to go all the way to zero. They're not going to go from two and a quarter to two. That won't do anything. So they're going to go all the way to zero. But again, that's not going to do enough either. So they're going to have to eat their words and they're going to have to go right back to quantitative easing and lose whatever credibility they lose by doing that because the alternative, I guess, would be unacceptable to the Fed, which would be to sit back and watch everything that they built completely implode. But I want to also talk about another couple of stocks that were big droppers today that I had mentioned on this podcast uh, and warned about the problems for these stocks. You know, I don't talk that often about individual stocks on my podcast, and I would do it a lot more and get into it. But, you know, the the regulators, security regulators, I, I can't give investment recommendations on the show. So I can't really tell people buy this stock or even short this stock. Uh, But sometimes I just talk about stocks because they're in the news. And I think that what's happening with that stock uh, is is newsworthy. uh, As So I talk about it from a news event and from what it says about the market and bubbles and expectations. And, And one of them is Facebook. And Facebook got clobbered today. A lot of investors are unfriending Facebook. Stock was down 7.5% on the day. I mean, it's one of the biggest down days for the stock. It's down about 40% now from its peak price, you know, in the summer, right? It peaked out, I think, in July, June, July, something like that of this year, down 40%, right? This is a vicious bear market. And, you know, there's a long way to go down as far as I'm concerned for this stock, And if you remember, if you go back to the podcast that I did, when the problems first surfaced uh, for Facebook regarding the fact that it was sharing the data uh, with advertisers, it was uh, Cambridge Analytica was a company that was involved. And it was a big scandal. And it shouldn't have surprised anybody, right? It kind of reminds me of Casablanca, you know, when Captain Renault, you know, I'm shocked that there's gambling going on here, right? Shocked. Well, I mean, why would anybody who uses Facebook be shocked that Facebook is, you know, monetizing the data? I mean, using all the information on your Facebook page, selling it to advertisers. After all, Facebook doesn't charge any money to provide their services. Now, Facebook is one of the largest market cap companies in the world. They're making a lot of money. If they're not charging their customers anything, well, then how are they making all the money? From advertisers. So the advertisers are their customers. The individuals are part of the product. What is Facebook selling? Access to its users, the product. So when you have a Facebook account, you become part of the product. 
right? And the customer is the advertiser. And, you know, look, you don't have to pay for Facebook. You don't get something for nothing, right? I try to explain that when it comes to politics. It's the same thing with internet companies. If you are not paying to use a product, then you're not really the customer, right? Just like if you're watching television, right? The customer is the commercials, the company that are advertising. That's what puts television on. If you don't want commercials, then you subscribe to cable or you go to Netflix or you actually have to pay. So when you actually write the checks and pay, you're the customers. When you're using it for free, you're not the customer. The person who's paying is the customer. So nobody should have been shocked about this. But the minute I saw this and the minute they they, they took Zuckerberg and they brought him up in front of Capitol Hill, I knew that this was it for Facebook because I knew that eventually the regulators were going to come out and they were going to try to, oh, we care about individual privacy and, oh, we're going to pass laws to make sure that Internet companies don't abuse the privacy of the people that are using their product. And that's what's coming. And that's what the announcement was coming out today, that regulation is likely on the way. And and that's going to destroy the Facebook business model. I mean, yes, they'll still be able to have advertisers, but because they won't be able to provide as much data about their their Facebook users, the advertisers won't pay as much uh, for that access, and so their earnings are going to collapse. Now, alternatively, Facebook could start charging uh, customers, but the average Facebook account probably not going to pay. If you start charging them, they, they, they won't use it. They'll use some other site. So I think the company is going to have to be revalued with a much lower uh, valuation. So this is early in the bear market for Facebook. But, you know, the irony of it all, you know, the government, and I mentioned this when I did the podcast over the summer, the government making a big deal about, you know, Facebook invading my privacy. You know, I don't really care. I mean, what is Facebook doing with the data? They're sharing it with advertisers who may have products that might improve my life. And they're going to show me ads that potentially I'm actually, I actually care about the product. I'd rather see ads about things that I might want to buy than things I know I'm never going to buy. I mean, you know, so to me, advertisers can't hurt me if they have the data because all they can do is give me an option to buy their product. I, they can't force me to buy their product. They, all they can do is convince me. They have to win my business by, by offering me a product that I want to buy at a price that I want to pay. So I'm not worried so much about this. And, you know, certainly uh, Facebook can, you know, let you know, hey, we're going to share your data. If you don't want, don't give us your data if you don't want us to share it. But I'm not worried about advertisers trying to figure out ways to make my life better and let me know about the products that they've developed. What I don't like is when government knows everything about me, because when it comes to the government, we have no privacy whatsoever. The government knows everything about you. The government gets all kinds of information. In fact, the only reason that I don't like Facebook having my information is because they might give it to the U.S. government. That is the problem. The problem with all these websites collecting all this information is not that advertisers may use it to help me. It's that the government may use it to hurt me and not just me, anybody else. Because, look, we are headed for socialism. As I said, the socialists are going to win the White House. They're going to win the Congress. But it's a slippery slope from socialism to totalitarianism. And if we get that kind of police state, what are they going to do? They're going to want information about everybody so they can track everybody and find anybody who is an enemy of the state. Right. And if you have a police state. You know, what makes you an enemy? If you're, well, if you're a patriot, if you believe in the Constitution, if you believe in freedom, if you believe in liberty, if you're, then you're an enemy of the state, right? You're not an enemy of the people. You're, you know, you're a freedom fighter. But as far as the state's concerned, you're a terrorist, 
right? And so now the governments through these social media companies, you know, they have access to all sorts of personal information that they can use in very you know, unscrupulous ways because the government is about force. It's about power. The government doesn't have to win my business, right? The government just basically tells me what to do and I have to do it. Corporations can't tell me to do anything. They can only hope that I do something. See, that's why I always talk about why these liberals, you know, they, 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 they fear corporations. Oh, these corporations have too much power. You don't have to fear private business. They have no power over you. All they can do is encourage you to engage in voluntary commerce. And I only engage in commerce with somebody if I think it's going to benefit me. I don't engage in trades where I think I'm going to lose, right? I think I'm going to win. So if a business sells you a product and you're a willing buyer and the business is a willing seller, everybody wins because it's voluntary. You don't decide to do something. Now, if you buy something based on fraud, okay. Well, then fraud's a crime. And that's, you know, and we should have courts that punish sellers for fraudulently misrepresenting their products, right? That is a crime. But if you, if there's no fraud, if the seller tells the truth and then the buyer decides to buy, it's a win-win. The seller wouldn't sell if he couldn't win. The buyer wouldn't buy if he couldn't win. But government, it's a win-lose. It's win for the government and lose for you because there is no choice. The government decides and then they use the power of the state to enforce what they want on you, to make you do what they want you to do even if it's not in your best interest. Because, of course, if the government has to force you to do something, then it's not in your best interest. Because if it was in your best interest, you would do it anyway, right? You're not an idiot, right? You're going to do things that are in your best interest. You don't have to be forced to do something that's in your best interest. You'll do what's in your best interest. So when the government is forcing you to do something, it's something that you don't want to do, and you wouldn't do it but for government force. That doesn't happen with businesses. So the irony of it is, under the guise of protecting our privacy, the government, who basically destroyed all of our privacy, is going to start regulating Facebook. They shouldn't be doing it, right? Individuals should be able to you know, decide if they want to have a Facebook account or not and what information they want to share. But this probably has ramifications far beyond Facebook, Google, or any other companies uh, that are providing free services on the internet are going to be limited in how they can use the data. That means their revenues are going to go down. And that means they may have to start charging uh, for their services, which obviously, you know, consumers are broke. They could barely survive now to the extent that they have to start paying to use what is currently a free social media sites. And now they have to start paying. Well, that's just going to be uh, another nail in, in the consumer coffin. Another stock that I want to mention, though, that I really, you know, I spoke about a lot on this podcast when it came public. And that was a company called Blue Apron. And the reason I focused on it was because when I looked at it, the day it IPO'd, I thought it was completely absurd that the valuation was ridiculous for a company that really didn't have a business model to do anything uh, that could anywhere near justify uh, the price. And so it came public, it was at $10, and the first day it came public, it traded as high as 11, and it, it's never seen that price since. but. I, I used it as an example of the, the lunacy, right, that happens in a mania, in a bubble. This is an example of malinvestment, right? The fact that this company was able to raise so much money based on massive losses in the past and a lot of debt and a, a business model that was like ridiculous. I mean, basically what they did is you could call them up and you can order meals and they would send you the ingredients and then you would cook the meals yourself and they'd put the ingredients in a box 
And so, and then they would send it to you. Like they they did your shopping for you, right? It's like, you know, instead of going to the supermarket yourself and buying the ingredients, they send you the ingredients with a recipe. I mean, I thought this whole thing was ridiculous. And to the extent that it's going to happen, look, Amazon owns Whole Foods, right? Amazon could just, uh, you know, could just deliver the Whole Foods stuff to you through Amazon. Of course, when the company went public, Amazon hadn't already bought Whole Foods. So to the extent that they were already going to collapse, uh, then that deal would have hastened the demise. But I pointed it out, and now today the stock was down another 13%, hitting a new life of company low. It is at 78 cents is where it closed. 78 cents. The low was 77 cents. So it's a penny stock uh, down, you know, you know, better than 90% since it went public. And this is just one example. I mean, there are a lot more Blue Aprons out there. I mean, Blue Apron was just an extreme example of the absurdity and the nonsense that Wall Street would take public in a mania. But believe me, there are a lot of other companies that have gone public in the last few years that are going to zero, right? Uh, and there are a lot of stocks that aren't going to zero, but they're going to approach it. I mean, they're going to lose a lot more value because there's a lot more shoes that are going to drop, you know. And while I'm on the subject, of course, of malinvestments and speculative manias and bubbles, I got to comment on the cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin because we have had a pretty nice bear market bounce in Bitcoin, which uh, not too many days ago made a new low for the year. It got down to just above 3,100. And last night it rallied above 3,900. The high on Bitstamp is 3,924. It's bang on 3,700 as I'm recording this podcast. So we've you know, come down over 200 from the highs. So there's a lot of volatility here, but I think this is just another bear market rally. It's a pretty big one percentage-wise, right? When you gain almost a thousand off a of 3,000, that's about a 30% rise, which is a pretty big spike. But remember, you get very big rallies in bear markets, especially when you're talking about something with the liquidity of uh, Bitcoin. Uh, so this uh, makes sense to me. And again, these type of sharp rallies keep hope alive. Right. They keep the hodlers in. Uh, they you know, they, they they allow the bear market to to slide the slope of hope. And uh, and that's what bear markets do. You know, they constantly create false optimism so that people don't sell. And then they sucker new buyers in who think they've hit the bottom. Uh, and then you go lower. I mean, they have all sorts of uh, sayings for why you shouldn't try to catch a falling knife or, you know, what happens to bottom pickers and stuff like that. But those sayings are there for a reason. Those Wall Street axioms are there because, you know, history is littered with examples of people who thought they were buying it at the bottom only to find out that the bottom was much, much lower uh, than, than they thought. Also, though, I want to talk about the gold stocks, which got clobbered, clobbered today. Now, they had had a pretty strong day over the last uh, couple of days. And today the GDX was down 5.4%. The GDXJ was down 4.8%, the juniors. But they were all up. These indexes were up like 2 or 3% this morning. And they actually started to sell off even before the Fed announcement came. So even when gold was still up 4 or 5 bucks, at one point I think it was up uh, maybe uh, 8 bucks, 9 bucks. In fact, I think we got to about 12.57 or 12.58, something like that. This was the highest we've been in a while. And then, you know, then we sold off, but we only ended up down about six, seven bucks on the day. We still closed above 12.40, I think 12.42 and change. So not that big a sell-off in the price of gold, but there was a big drop in the 
uh, gold stocks. Let's remember the stocks are forward looking. And I think that in the last couple of days, we finally got some optimism that was creeping into the gold stock market because of the idea that the Fed was done hiking rates. And when the Fed took that off the table, a lot of that that buying returned into selling, and we saw a big drop in these gold stocks, but not so much in the price of gold, which to me still looks like it's you know strong and uh, and creeping higher. But again, the people that are selling the gold stocks still don't get it, even though the Fed is talking about more hikes. They're not going to deliver on that talk. This is all bark, and there will be no bite. Because what is going to happen is the anticipation of those hikes, the fact that the market believes that the Fed is going to keep hiking, and the fact that the Fed is going to keep shrinking their balance sheet. They are not stopping quantitative tightening. So that is going to go on. And, and that's going to continue to add pressure into the, uh, the bond markets and global liquidity. Because remember, we have record Budget deficits right now. The, but the Treasury is running a budget deficit unofficially now of about 1.2 trillion. Probably, if you include all the off-budget spending, the budget deficit now over the next 12 months is probably closer to two trillion dollars. And then you add another 500 billion of uh, balance sheet shrinking, which is the same thing. It's new treasuries that have to find private buyers. Right? This is this is draining. This is crowding out all the liquidity from the capital markets. So six more months of uh, balance sheet tightening, six more months of anticipating additional rate hikes, six more months of the real estate market, the auto market, the retailers, the financials, the stock markets going down, all this stuff happening, we're going to have a recession. doesn't matter that the Fed is optimistic. They're always optimistic before a recession. They never see recessions coming, no matter how bad they're going to be. If they couldn't see the financial crisis of 2008, even in middle of 2008, when it was right around the corner, when there was so much evidence that they were oblivious to, you know, why should their vision be any clearer now? So what the gold traders don't get and the currency traders, because the dollar, which was down, uh, recovered its losses once, you know, the Fed uh, came out with its statement. What the gold traders and the dollar traders don't get is it doesn't matter what the Fed says. It doesn't matter how optimistic they are now. They are going to turn pessimistic once they are blindsided by reality. And so the Fed is expecting growth to continue they're going to be surprised by the recession. And so they're not going to continue on this trajectory. The dot plots don't matter. Forget about these dots. And, and But the traders still don't understand that. But I don't think it's going to take too much longer for them to figure it out. You know, the fact that we have the selling today uh, based on the comments, on the, the very comments that the, the Fed made that really precipitated the selling leads me to believe that the markets are kind of on to what's going on a little bit, and they're going to figure out more and more. And as they do, they're going to start piling into gold. They're going to start piling into gold stocks. In the meantime, the markets closed very weak, even though we didn't close on the exact low. And I know some people in the financial media will try to say, oh, that's a good sign, right? We didn't close on the exact low. Yeah, keep saying that all the way down, right? We didn't close on the exact low as we keep getting killed day after day after day. The technicals look horrible for the market. And the Federal Reserve simply uh, drove a few more nails in the coffin 
of the uh, bull market, which is now dead and about to be buried. Uh, the bear markets are here, uh, even though it's only official with the Russell 2000 and the transports. The Nasdaq will be next, and it won't be long before the S&P and the Dow follow those other indexes into bear market territory. It won't be long before the economy is in recession, this asset-based economy. So go the markets, so go the economy. And then, therefore, it won't be long before the Fed has to do an about-face and proves me right that the next move by the Fed when it comes to rates will be not to hike them, but to cut them. Mm-hmm.